Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Welcome to another edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune's Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? Doing all right on this. I guess we're back to our normal schedule on this Wednesday. Uh, still, Although we're, we're coming to you before a game, it's not the game we thought we would be talking about last time we were sitting in these seats. Due to COVID cases at Florida, they flip-flopped the Kentucky game and the Florida game. Kentucky now coming to Columbia this Saturday, October 24th. Missouri now scheduled, as of now, to travel to Gainesville on Halloween. When you saw that announcement last Friday, Langston Newsom, what I don't know why I'm going first and last after that, but <laughs> Langston Newsom, uh, when you saw that announcement, Langston, what, what was kind of your thoughts about just why that was happening? And e- now that we're even, what, 10 days away from that next game from happening, do you, do you think it's going to happen on time? You know, it, it sounds like a cop-out, but I have no idea. I feel like the SEC, they had the built-in bye week, um, which I think was a smart idea just in case, you know, games were canceled due to COVID-19. But that's already happened for Missouri with the Vanderbilt game. So now you have the flip-flop between Kentucky and Florida. And, you know, when this was announced, my first thought was, you know, is the SEC kind of on the brink of having to extend the season or have to completely change the rest of the schedule because, you know, another outbreak from a school like a Florida could completely turn the season for the SEC upside down. And I know people probably don't want to talk about that, but that's just, that's uh, just being completely honest because, you know, Florida ha- still hasn't gotten their COVID situation under control at this point. No, they haven't. And that's why it's imperative that we look at this as, well, we'll see. And that's kind of that's kind of it. Uh, but Kentucky is coming here without, you know, they haven't had an outbreak in Lexington. So they're coming here uh, on Saturday. You know, it, it's been well documented. And we had John Hale on from the Louisville Courier Journal in this episode. You'll be able to hear it. But how it's kind of a big topic of discussion this week. Missouri has not beaten Kentucky since 2014. And the the sad part of being about all of that is although Kentucky is improving under Mark Stoops, they're not at the level where this should be happening. At the end of the day, if you lost five straight to Alabama, okay, it's Alabama. Kentucky is improving, no doubt, and they're criminally underrated, I think, this year. I think that the fact that Missouri has lost them five straight years, and Missouri's probably had a better team than them, except for 2018, even though that was probably the best Missouri team among them probably had a better team than them in 17 I would say 16 maybe not 15 it's close and 19 it's close so that should be an even matchup not five straight for Kentucky yeah and you know what's crazy kind of heading into this matchup obviously we already talked about it being switched but you know Missouri was supposed to be coming off of you know a win on against LSU uh, we all assume that uh 
Missouri would have steamrolled past Vanderbilt. They would have been in two-game winning streak under Coach Elijah Drinkowitz heading into this Kentucky game, and it would have been just pounds of you know enthusiasm and just you know everything kind of rolling in the right direction for this Missouri team. And now you're going to this game where two weeks ago. Uh, Kentucky was 0-2, and it looked like, oh, Missouri really might have a chance. And then now, you know, after statement wins over Mississippi State and Kentucky, I mean, and Tennessee, excuse me, this is going to be a close game. And it looks and feels like Kentucky can extend that winning streak. Yeah, to me, it feels like whatever credit you give LSU from Missouri, you can kind of take away the credit you give Kentucky and Mississippi State. You kind of throw those two teams out the window because, I mean, the SEC has completely figured out the air raid at this point with how Mike Leach and Crumpany have just fallen to the ground. And it's clear LSU is not as good as everyone thought they were going to be in 2020, but they still are pretty good. And you look at the common denominator of the Tennessee games, you know, and that was more just Tennessee falling on its face than, you know, Jerry Gar- you know, the Jerry Garitano just losing the game straight up, you know, and Missouri didn't play well against Tennessee. So I understand why Missouri's a touchdown underdog here, but if we know anything, I think that, you know, these games have been close usually, and this should, I agree with you, this should be a close game uh, either way. I, I don't think that either of these teams are good enough to win the SEC East this year. I don't think either of them are bad enough to the point where they, Honestly, should either one should finish below fifth in the SEC. I think even with South Carolina's win over Auburn, I still think that South Carolina and Vanderbilt are probably the two worst teams in this division. Um, I think Kentucky probably has a little bit more momentum behind them with two wins already this season to get out of, you know, in the middle or towards the top when you look at, you know, the Tennessees of the world. And, you know, even Florida's lost, and they, we don't know what momentum they'll have coming back after they're done with COVID. So we will see. But, you know, this is always a for positioning in the SEC and it's been an absolute just mark against Missouri since the year of the advent of the college football playoff that was the last year Missouri won this matchup it's crazy and you know it, it's wild how you know a few weeks ago we're talking about how Drinkowitz has had a already had a statement win in his you know short tenure here as Missouri's head coach but now this is in some ways, even a bigger game, in my opinion, going against the Kentucky team. This is now a proven Kentucky team that is is good, and you know you come off of that one week layoff due to the canceled game against Vanderbilt. What was Coach Drink was able to install? What were they able to add to? What was Connor Bazelak able to kind of get more comfortable in in that you know week layoff? And now you have two weeks going into this game against Kentucky. I understand that Missouri wasn't always game planning for this Kentucky game um, due to what we've already discussed, but it's going to be interesting to see if they can carry any type of momentum going against the Wildcats. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. Uh, we we kind of got a little bit of an answer as to what they'll be, you know, doing from Eli Drinkwitz. Basically, they just self-reflected. I mean, they didn't talk about schemes or anything like that, but they basically at least said, you know, we, you know, focused on, you know, holding on to the ball more. They had five fumbles against LSU. Makes sense. You know, just little things like that. It appears that, and, and the, the biggest thing coming out of Drinkwitz's press conference yesterday was that currently no players are in quarantine, knock on table, knock on wood for Drinkwitz. Uh, no players in quarantine because of COVID. And I can't remember the last time Missouri football was able to say that statement that literally none of their team was ruled out due to the coronavirus. And that's that, that that's an, a highly positive, sad fact that, that that is dealing with college football in 2020 that, I mean, even dating back to summer workouts in June, I, I, I can't remember a time where at least one Missouri player 
wasn't in contact tracing or close contact or even had unfortunately had the disease it's been it's just kind of been that year and even when we talked to Conzo Martin last week and uh, this is one thing I didn't mention on the podcast is he even said he's the guys have had it but everyone's you know just safe now and it's like even though the rates are going down in Colombia and everything's like that it's just it's just crazy just this is what college sports is in 2020 it, it's nothing about just how much the model of college sports has changed just because we're living through a pandemic and from there we'll go into the interview with john hale uh talk to him about 20 minutes you know he's part of the usa today network but the louisville courier journal current actually colleague of cameron t robinson former host of this podcast without further ado here is my interview interview from earlier today with john hale Joining the Bazoo Sports Podcast this time is the Kentucky beat writer for the Louisville Career Journal, John Hale. How are you doing, John? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, first off, just kind of give us an introduction to who you are, how long you've been covering the Wildcats, and all of that. Yeah, I've uh, whew, I've been doing this for about 10 years total now, covering Kentucky for various outlets. I've been at the CJ for the last five years. Uh, first came on in, what, 2015 as the solely UK football beat writer for the Courier. We have the, the beat split basketball and football. Uh, the last two years I've been covering both sports, men's basketball and football, so doing a little everything. But uh, overall, uh, since uh, about 2009, uh, on the beat in Lexington altogether. So I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of Kentucky losses over the years. And uh, this, this recent turn of form has been quite the change of pace. Yeah, I was, I, that was going to be one of my questions for you, so we'll start there. I mean, just uh, you said you've been covering the team. Just What was it like when Mark Stoops was hired, and how have you seen kind of the progression of the program to where it is in present day? Yeah, it's always interesting when, you know, the way that these athletic departments spin things when they're not going very well. I remember in Joker Phillips' last season in 2012, all the talk was like, we're so close. We're, we're about to turn a corner. We have all these young guys who are really promising. And, and when, when they get their opportunity, when they get some experience, it's going to go really, really well. And they basically said that until there was a game late in that season against Vanderbilt when I think like 15,000 people showed up at the stadium. And it was, it was you know, pre-COVID. So it was not like there was any sort of limitations. Basically what every game looks like this season is what it looked like that year. Uh, it was a nasty day, but it was just fans had checked out. They just didn't care anymore, and it basically forced Mitch Barnhart's hand, and he fired Joker Phillips the next day. Well, as soon as Mark Stoops got in in December, you heard a lot more realistic uh, interpretations of what the roster was. Basically, the uh, the comparison that kept getting thrown around was they were much closer to a MAC team than they were to an SEC team. Which makes sense because they were two and ten in 2012, and then they were two and ten again in Mark Stoops' first year in 2013, and he was very upfront about the work that had to be done, and he kind of methodically built it. Uh, they went five and seven the second year, five and seven the third year. Uh, there were some disappointments there because one of those seasons they actually started five and one, and then lost their last six games in a row, so they didn't make it to a bowl game. But you could see progress, and then you get into year four. Uh, and, and the pressure's really on. It actually started really badly. I mean, they lost um, the first week to Southern Miss, got embarrassed there, then went to Florida in week two and just got blown out. Come home against New Mexico State in week three and are losing at halftime. And, and basically the whole the whole fan base appears to be ready to check out on Mark Stoops and, and his whole era, but that happened to be the game. Uh, Steven Johnson came in at quarterback because of an injury. Benny Snell got his first carries that day at running back. He, uh, he ended up tying the program record with four rushing touchdowns in, that, in his very first game carrying the ball. And they just completely reinvented themselves. It was this power run team behind Benny, behind this really good offensive line. 
uh, you know, try to be balanced with some passing, but they were run first team. And, and then from there, it just took off. They've been to four straight bowl games. They've won the last two, won the New Year's Day game against Penn State. 2018, they won 10 games for the first time since 1977. And so they've just done all these things recently that haven't been done in a long time. And, and you know, every week, every year, it's, you know, another box checked off. And we, we just got another one this week when we saw them go down to Tennessee and went there for the first time since 1984. There were all these kind of historic albatrosses hanging around the program uh, that, that get brought up all the time, the Florida streak, the Tennessee streak. And, and one by one, they've checked all of those off basically now. And it says a lot about the way that Mark Stoops has done this. And maybe more than anything, uh, he's gotten the program to the point where fans aren't just happy with you know seven wins every year. They expect more. And so that's I think that's a real credit to what he's done here. Give us kind of a preview of this year's Kentucky team. Where do they stand in, check, in terms of checking off all those boxes? And what an X box, I guess. Does it make it, you know, six in a row against Missouri, or what would that be? Yeah, it's an interesting kind of uh, evaluation this year because going into the season before the pandemic, before we knew the schedule was going to be altered, there were a lot of people who, who thought this team, this Kentucky team could compete with that one two years ago in 2018 for the best one that he'd had yet. And, Obviously, that team won 10 games. Uh, they, they had their first winning SEC record since 1977. So that's a really high bar to set, uh, especially – but then you get to the pandemic, you see the schedule change, so a 10-game only SEC schedule. Uh, you get Alabama and your, as your as your second draw from from the new games. You got to go to Florida. You got to you already had the, a game at Auburn. I think people kind of looked at it and said, okay, six wins in a ten game SEC schedule would still be a really special season. And, and I think we've seen the to this point they're in some ways who we thought they were. Uh, the defense was supposed to be their strength, and the first two weeks of the season it looked kind of questionable. But the last two weeks they've really bounced back. And played the way that that most people thought they were capable of. They still got a really good running game. They've got a great offensive line. Quarterbacks a question mark, but when Terry Wilson's right, he's he's a guy who can manage the game and not hurt you. Uh, he can still make plays with his legs. He's never going to really take over with his arm, I don't think. But he can do enough to help you win when everything's clicking. I think we've seen the last two weeks kind of their best case scenario in terms of the offense does just enough and the defense plays really well and you control the clock and. And that's who they can be. I think that can make them competitive with almost anybody in this league outside of, you know, Alabama and Georgia and, and maybe, you know, Texas A&M, that very top tier. But it also means that they're never going to really blow teams out. I mean, last week's game against Tennessee and really the week before against Mississippi State were really exceptions to how they've won the last four years. And, and that was because they scored so many points on defense with pick sixes. And, you know, they've had nine interceptions the last two games. So I, I don't think that's something that you, you plan to happen going forward. But it does show the blueprint that, you know, this is a team that can compete and, and the schedule's really hard from here, but that's true for everybody. I think if they could get to five and five, most people would probably be okay with that. But if they could somehow uh knock off one of Georgia, Florida, Alabama who's still on the schedule and get to six and five, yeah, I think you would have to put that right up there with the with the ten win season two years ago, knowing that, that ten, those ten wins included four against uh non conference teams that weren't very good. One of the main talking points around Columbia this this you know this week is that Missouri has not beaten Kentucky since 2014, and while Kentucky you know has obviously improved on Mark Stoops, that is not hasn't been a program that's just completely outclassed Missouri in terms of record or basically yeah. most metrics that I've seen, you know during that five year period. Is is there a lot of talk in Lexington that like wow this is just a team we always beat and has been a you know a, a pretty good you know, feather in the cap of Mark Stoops. You know, do they expect that to continue, or how is that part of this 
matchup uh, rationalized in Lexington this week. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's come up a couple times this week in terms of just the, the contrast between what they're doing this week and what they were doing the week before. And obviously we wouldn't have gotten that, you know, back-to-back without the schedule change. But, you know, that all the talk, and so so often with Kentucky, it's been about you haven't beaten this team in X number of years. You haven't won in Knoxville since 1984 or whatever it may be and, and ending these streaks. And now you come into a, a week right after that where you're kind of the hunted for one of the rare opportunities. I mean, and Mark Stoops got asked Monday, how do you approach – I mean, because he gets so annoyed about – asking, you know, about the, the bad streaks. And he says, oh, my players weren't around for 35 years. They, sh- they shouldn't have to live up to that. And, well, now here's one that's good. And everybody's telling them that they're better than Missouri, and they've proven that. And, and they've, you know, established in the SEC specking order, you know, because they, they won five straight against Missouri. But before last year, they'd won five straight against South Carolina. They'd won a bunch in a row against Vanderbilt. So they kind of – jumps or leapfrog those teams seemingly in the records and, and how do you deal with that and Mark says it's a perfect example of, of that just that stuff just doesn't matter I mean the games are so close the parity is such in this league we saw it with Missouri and LSU that they could absolutely come out this week a week after this historic win at Tennessee and if they don't play the way that they're capable of if they're not focused they could get beat and beat pretty easily I think by a team like Missouri and, and I I think that Mark Stoops has, has enough sway with his guys that, that they seem to take those things to heart. I can I can really only think of one real letdown game per se that they've had in the last three or four years, and that was at uh, Tennessee in 2018 after they had lost a winner take all game against Georgia for the East, and then the next week they just came out completely flat after that letdown. But most of the time they've stayed pretty focused, and and I think that the, this team knows that they look at it and they say. What two years ago when they were in Columbia, they they probably got pretty lucky with the way that that game ended. Uh, obviously, sure, yeah. they, they, they were just terrible for on offense for the vast majority of the game, and then had one great drive at the end, and you know a super elite performance from Lynn Bowden individually. You know with the controversy on the touchdown at the end, and whether CJ Cotter had pushed off. They, they realized how close that was, and so I think that helps them maybe establish ground them a little bit in terms of they don't think that they're you know miles ahead of Missouri in any way, and they can just go into Columbia and win easily. Yeah, uh, I actually had your now colleague, former Tribune Mizzou reporter Cameron T. Robinson, on the show a couple months ago, and, and he said one of his most memorable moments was of his entire time in Mizzou beat was that UK-Mizzou game in 2018, just in how that all transpired. It's still talked about, even non during non-Kentucky weeks around here. I, I believe we talked last year, you said you were there. Uh, just yeah. What do you remember from that game? Was it just Josh Allen completely changing the game, or what do you remember from that day specifically that stands out to you still? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a couple moments. and I mean, Josh was obviously great, which that entire season he basically did that over and over again where he kind of single-handedly put them in games. And I mean, I, I remember against Florida, he had a, uh, you know, a couple great strip sacks that clinched games, and he had a, an insane pass deflection in the end zone. And he just – it, it, throughout that season, you could realize, okay, this guy is legitimately a top-10 NFL draft pick, which we don't see a lot in Lexington. But for me specifically, the thing is Missouri in the moment – of, of Kentucky lore, even more so than the C.J. Conrad touchdown at the end and, and the controversy about the, the push-off there, is, is that was kind of the coming-out party for Lynn Bowden. I mean, he had this, you know, we, we saw what he did last year when they had to move him to quarterback uh, out of necessity because of injuries and, and what he could do as a runner. But that was that might have been his best game his entire Kentucky career as a receiver. 
and the legend of when Bowden starts in that game when they just can't do anything on offense, and he goes to them, goes to Mark Stoops on the sideline and says, Coach, I'm going in as punt returner on this game. They didn't come over and ask him. He said, I'm going in on punt returner, which is something they didn't really trust him to do all the time because Mark is, is very conservative with his special teams, and he's basically concerned with making sure they don't turn the ball over more than anything else and, and less concerned about having a dynamic guy back there at returner. But Bowden said, we need to do this. I mean, we need a play here. And he, so he basically called his own number, went in the game at punt return, and returned it for a touchdown. And that, and that was the play that kind of sparked into that comeback. And so I remember standing there and outside the visitor locker room in, uh, in Missouri, and, and we know we all know how, how bad some of these visiting media setups are in the SEC with the truck behind us and everything going really loud and, and trying to talk to Lynn about that performance and just – uh, maybe in the moment, even because you're so rushed, not realizing what the controversy was over the last play and the touchdown, and being more focused on that, and then coming back to the press box and saying like, "Oh wow, this is uh, this this was something that that happened there that maybe we even missed." So I, I remember it more for Lynn, even even less so than than the touchdown from CJ Conrad at the end. And, and you mentioned the thing with Lynn, but on the other side that I didn't realize until uh, I guess this year or more so was that. For the last, I guess, for Barry Odom's first three years in Missouri, they had to take him from the football field and drive him across what is, what, what is Providence Road to the press conference. It would be kind of not even in close contact with fans just to drive him there. So after a game like that, I'm sure that's the last place that you would want a head football coach. But I, yeah. I just found that to be just from Missouri fans, from the from Field's press box across the street to the Missouri Athletic Training Complex to have the post-game press conferences. No wonder that needed a change after just that Kentucky game last year. And that was definitely the impetus for why the games are now. Obviously, they were building the top end zone complex at the time for Missouri fans. But now those post-game press conferences obviously happen over Zoom. But last year, they happened inside the Mizzou south end zone complex. So it's technically, you know, now Eli Drickless doesn't have to walk outside. Uh, just you know, just just from your perspective, uh, John, and thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, of the of the four new head coaches in the league, obviously Mike Leach gets some press because he's Mike Leach. Lane Kiffin obviously has a reputation already in the Southeastern Conference. Sam Pittman has done a lot of good things at Arkansas, and they really should be three and one right now somehow. But what kind of the view do you think league wide of Eli Drinkwitz? Yeah, it's interesting. I had this conversation with somebody before the season and, and writing, you know, we all do those schedule previews of, like, what's the most difficult games. And it was so easy to, to lump those two Mississippi games on Kentucky's schedule together, A, because they were both in the same state and they were, ended up being back-to-back, but mostly because of the new coaches, and you know, Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin and these big offensive minds, and they're both so boisterous in interviews and, you know, grab so many headlines and how exciting it was. And then you kind of got there and you're like, oh, and, and Eli Drinkwitz is a new coach too on <laughs> schedule it's like it was almost an afterthought I do think uh, for me personally and, and, and probably a little bit in, in the city of Louisville at least you mentioned Cameron earlier it, it's of some interest because of the the Appalachian State tie in terms of uh, Scott Satterfield now at Louisville you know Eli Drinkwitz obviously followed him for the one season at Appalachian State after he came to Louisville and, and this kind of conversation about how much was Appalachian State's continued success last year about what Drinkwitz was doing versus about the program that Scott Satterfield had built. And there was, you know, kind of ongoing questions about that. I, I was really curious to see who he was as a coach, but I just I just didn't have a very good feel for it going into the season. And then when they came out and, and won that LSU game, and obviously we, you know, we have our own questions about how good LSU is now after everything they've lost and the way they've played so far. But that, that's the kind of game that gets your attention really quickly. Um, I, I can't say that going into the season – I had a lot of feelings about him one way or the other, but but that makes you take notice, and and it's the kind of win I think early in a tenure, especially when you're trying to 
establish some things. Uh, Mark Stoops had one against South Carolina. I think it's second second season, and South Carolina is obviously not the quality program as LSU, but they were ranked at the time. And it was this huge moment and really big in recruiting, and I think those are the kind of moments that you have to seize on to build a program. And, and to have one this early, I think, is a really, a really positive sign for him. I think that was the year, that was the Jadavion Clowney senior year where he went on to have that hit against Michigan then become the number one draft pick. So that was that South Carolina team, I believe, yeah. right, John? Right. Yeah. So obviously a little bit different than the Wilmot's champ team of 2020. Uh, I know we picked for the USA Today Network uh, just games based off the odds of MGM.com. Where do you kind of see this game going? I think Kentucky is favored by six at the moment. Did you pick them to win and cover the spread, or how did you kind of pick this game? Yeah, I picked them. I'll be honest with you. Every week when we have to do these picks, I'm so bad at, at the spread part of this whole equation. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think I have a, a decent idea in terms of who might actually win the game, but in terms of how much they're going to win by or whatever, I'm, I'm pretty bad about that. So I, I generally just pick who I think is going to win. And I, and I do think Kentucky, given how they played the last two weeks and, and as good as their defense is right now, um, I, they've got all this momentum. I, I feel pretty decent about their chances. Um, I do think that you know Missouri having a couple extra days to prepare after they found out they were going to play this game, you know, is, is a factor to consider. Having to go on the road two weeks in a row when you weren't necessarily planning on it for Kentucky is something to consider. There is the risk of a letdown after you know this big win against Tennessee that they had been so hyped about for so many years. Um, I, I think all those things are factors, but right now I, I just think Kentucky's defense is playing at a level. Uh, that it's going to be, you know, they're they're good enough to beat most teams in the SEC. And then if the offense can run the ball and do the things that the, that they're built around, which is, you know, no guarantee. They they were pretty bad about that against Mississippi State, actually, in, in that facet. If they can do those things, I, I feel good about Kentucky's chances. But every game Kentucky plays, uh, you know, outside of really the last two weeks, is, is so close. It could go either way. But, but that's that's just kind of the vibe I have right now. Sounds good, and, and, and this is John Hill from Louisville Courier Journal. I kind of want to ask this one question before we go. Just I know you got a busy schedule with Zooms today with not only maybe Mark Stoops but John Calipari as well. So I want now that basketball season is, uh, I guess, about a month away from starting, I was looking at it, and it looks like in terms of just the DNA of how Kentucky basketball and Missouri basketball this year might be two the two most far-apart teams. I mean, Missouri is really is bringing back – 88% of the minutes they played last year, 82% of their scoring. Kentucky, I think, has one player, one scholarship player, or how many scholarship players from last year's roster returning? They have two, but only one who played in the game last year. The other guy redshirted because he was injured the entire season. And, but they bring in, obviously, a Kentucky you know, recruiting class, B.J. Boston, Cameron Fletcher from the St. Louis area, and I'm sure a bunch of other five-star dynamite guys. Just, you know, how, how does this year look for John Calpari and Kirk? Yeah, it's, it's such a weird situation because, I mean, we obviously are so used to at, in Kentucky watching these teams every year that have such a new guy. And they, they're a one-and-done factory, and in the last few years they've kind of got heavy on grad transfers to get some experience. And even if uh, – it's, it's just rare at this point for anybody to stay longer than two years at Kentucky, regardless of whether you're ready or not. Most of them just go pro after two years and either go to the G League or go overseas somewhere. It's just how they're doing. But even for that normal level of turnover, this is unprecedented. I mean, the exact numbers I haven't pulled up now, they have to replace 94% of their scoring, 98.6% of their minutes, 84.4% of their rebounds, 92% of their assists. So Keon Brooks, who's the one guy coming back who played last year, averaged 4.5 points and 3.2 rebounds per game. And the rest of the team is entirely new. 
it does help. They have the number one recruiting class in the country. You mentioned B.J. Boston, who's their first – he's actually their first top five signee since 2015. Uh, Terrence Clark's a top ten guy. Cameron Fletcher from uh, from the Missouri area. Uh, a couple of – Devin Askew from California is a point guard. They, they did add a, a grad transfer in Davion Nitz from, uh, from Creighton. The, the big question still for Kentucky is whether – uh, Olivier Saar, the center from Wake Forest, is going to get eligible this year. I mean, if, if he is, he's kind of an SEC player of the year contender. But he needs a waiver from the SEC to do that because he, you know, his, there's questions about his, he, he only had one year of eligibility left, which is against the SEC rules apparently until the NCAA passed the extra year of eligibility. Is that enough to get him eligible? We, we don't have an answer yet. If he's eligible, you feel really good about Kentucky you know, being who they are normally. But if he's not, they're so young and so inexperienced. Uh, they're going to need a lot of time to gel, and this season of all seasons is not the year for that because the the off season was so messed up and the season's pushed back a little bit. But they're only going to have nine non conference games, and because of all the games they're contracted in these big neutral side events, they're not going to have the chance to play five six games in a row in November and December against low major teams to kind of build some steam. I think they have two of their nine games that are going to be like that, and the rest of them are against high majors and ranked teams. And so that it's going to be a really difficult. I mean, I think this is a team. That could lose, you know, three or four games before Christmas, and you're wondering what's happening. And, and Cal, it's it's hard to vote against him or picking them up and getting them ready by March. But it's such a weird year, and not knowing how it's going to work, uh, I think there are real legitimate questions about, regardless of their talent, whether he's going to be able to bring this thing together just because of, of such turnover that they have this season. All right, once again, that was John Hill from the Louisville Courier-Journal uh, covering Kentucky football and men's basketball for them. Uh, where can everybody find you online to kind of read everything from the opponent's perspective this week? Yeah, I'm at John Hill, J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore C-J on Twitter, and then we're uh, courier-journal.com. Are you coming to Columbia on Saturday? I am not. We are. Uh, I think we're we're kind of sitting out most of the road just with the setup this year and the Zoom interviews afterwards. What, gotcha. 16 hours in the car for uh, two Zoom interviews that I can do from home doesn't seem worth it. So, so we're sitting out this one on the road trip. I actually, I actually at the the Auburn game snapped a streak of 91 consecutive football get UK football games in person for me. So it's been been that kind of year. But it's 2020. So what else should we expect? Well, I usually end these special guest interviews by saying I'll see you on Saturday, but I guess I will see you on Zoom on Saturday. Then. How about that? Yeah, see you on Zoom on Saturday and then Monday as normal. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. And thank you once again to John Hale for joining us here on the Mizzou Sports Podcast. As he said, you know, he had 91 straight games covering Kentucky football and against the Auburn game. Uh, that is covered live because of coronavirus. Crazy to think about how that just happens and how many of those real streaks across the country on long-term beat writers are coming to an end this year. I, I mean, we'll have Bob Holt on, I think, later this year, the Arkansas beat writer for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, who's covered that team, I think, since 83. So I'm curious if his streak has come to an end or when's the last time he hasn't missed an Arkansas football game. I mean, 
you would think with how in depth he's covered the team, he probably has not missed a game. I mean, at 83, 12, let's, let's go 12 games a year. Uh, or let's go, let's just even go just go 10, go 10 games a year for him. That would be 37 years or yeah, so 370 straight games that you've been to for Arkansas. That was some quick math right there. <laughs> 37 <laughs> times 10, that's not that bad. You know, on the radio with Matt Michaels, KTDR, I had to do 21 times 8 in about a split second, and I somehow thought it was 168 correctly. I, I'm mad it's not my strong suit. Is math your strong suit, Langston? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. But, but getting off of math, uh, the two plugs for this week, follow Mizzou Football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at Columbia Tribune slash Tiger Extra. For stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by our neighborhood Zaxby's today. And where is the Columbia location for Zaxby's, Langston? Uh, I, you're asking a wrong <laughs> I, uh, I say it every week. Where is it? I have no idea. It's it's super close to my apartment. North sixty three in Stadium Boulevard. There we go. I knew it was Stadium something. I I uh, am ashamed to admit I don't know a single street name in Columbia. You just know where to go. You you can GPS it, but you can't do it by by street routes. Okay. I will GPS my way to go home from the Columbia <laughs> Tribune office. That's and I, I basically turns. know <laughs> I basically know my way. But no, I'm using my GPS every single time I'm getting in the car. I don't know any street names. That's that, that's weird. I mean, I I figure Columbia is actually a way easier town to drive in than Odessa, Texas, where I'm from. Way easier. It's so much more of a grid. It's easier. But getting actually back into the Mizzou talk now, uh, depth chart was released this week. The most, the biggest changes actually came from the wide receiver group. Obviously, Connor Baselak is the starter at quarterback. Larry Roundtree, Tyler Beatty are the running backs. But pretty much every single wide, position, wide receiver position is up for grabs when they've been three clear starters going into the LSU game. Now, it seems like it might be a, a by-committee thing. I mean, it, it, it's just interesting the strategy they're going from. It's, it's going to be either Towski Dove or Kiki Chisholm at one spot, and then either Michael Wilson or Boo Smith at the other. Damon Hazleton listed as a very clear third-string option there. Both of them missed the LSU game with COVID concerns. And then in the slot, it's either Jalen Knox or Barrett Bannister. With Dom Jacinto there as a third option, as the third Mizzou receiver who is out for that game. Uh, still no clear starter at tight end. Thought between Parker Jr., Nico Hay, and Logan Christofferson. Uh, left tackle still does not have a clear starter between Zeke Powell and Bobby Lauren. And kind of going down the, the defensive line, Chris Turner, Isaiah McGuire, and a third guy that I cannot remember off the top of my Markel head. Utz. Ma- Markel Utzi is, is the third uh, clear starter there. At the kind of the buck, you know, 3-4 formation, Trajan Jeffcoat listed, listed as a first-teamer. That's definitely new uh, there with Devin Nicholson and Nick, and Nick Bolton, obviously, as the linebackers. No changes in the Mizzou secondary. Uh, and obviously, after the last game, there are now four possible punt returners. I think it's Abrams Drain alongside Jarvis Ware, uh, Boo Smith and Cade Musser are now the four punt returners there. We actually have not seen Cade Musser, Boo Smith, or Boo Smith return a punt at all this year. No Barrett Bannister listed there, who actually had a fumble against the Alabama uh, as a punt returner for the Alabama game. Uh, so we'll see how all of that kind of plays out going forward. Langston, uh, you know, what do you think? Kind of the the, the depth at wide receiver or the, those changes kind of say. It's by committee. It, it's something that you already said. It's completely by committee. Ba- uh, Connor Bazelak looks 
completely comfortable without his number one and number two starting wide receiver in the LSU game. And I think this is Coach Jinkwood saying, hey, listen, you got to go out there, show up, and produce. And that's what they were able to do without them um, in the LSU game. So I'm completely fine in them kind of shifting the depth chart in that that position. They do need to show up. And I I don't know how I feel about having four possible people listed for punt returning because that was a major problem against LSU. And when you lose the turnover battle, I believe was four to zero against the Tigers in that game. I mean, that's not a game you're supposed to win. And that's what made, you know, Missouri's upset of LSU even that, that much more impressive. You know, you can't lose the turnover battle like that. No, you can't. And yet, I think that's a good sign going forward that there's that much accountability with Missouri where you can have, okay, listen, Abram Strain did not play well. He's still a freshman. He's learning. But it's just inexcusable to drop two punts in a row. And the fact that even he's even listed as one of the four possible choices is a good sign. But it's it's just like, you know, just there's that accountability of, of your spot is never safe. You know, Drinkwitz has said it, and we heard it a little bit under Barry Odom, but there was a little less stock to it because he definitely had his guys he wanted to stick to. For example, I don't think in any of his four years in Columbia, you know, Barry Odom had to deal with a true quarterback battle. It was give Drew the ball or give Kelly Bryant the ball. Those were his decisions. Not that I blame him, and he probably made the right decision on every turn with that. There was no way you weren't starting Drew, and there was no way you weren't starting Kelly. But, you know, you go from there, and it's just like you see a little bit more of that philosophy even just on paper from week to week if you got to earn your spot when you look at a guy like Towski dove and you can line him up against kiki chisholm and say we can go with either one of those two guys that's that i don't want to say it's weird but that's interesting when you look at on paper the kiki chisholm should be the choice there 10 times out of 10 and even a jalen oxbear banister is a little closer because of experience versus you know skill and all of that but you go with michael wilson and boo smith over damon hazlin i'm just that was probably the biggest shocker to me is just a complete it wasn't a complete repudiation but a guy that had been a good target and a reliable option for sean robinson or connor baselack and damon hazlin probably shown a little bit more than kiki chisholm now was a third string guy at his own position that's interesting maybe he's a little more banged up than what they're letting letting on but who knows who knows in that aspect and to kind of piggyback off that, we went in the week one game um, against Alabama, and Jalen Knox seemed to be a focal point of that misdirection and, and that type of um, illusion of, of change that Drinkowitz was using in the motioning for the Missouri's offense in that game. And you go from that to maybe he's not even going to be starting in place of uh, Bear Bannister. So that is interesting. But I think it, at this point, especially coming off a week off, it's just send a message. It's like whoever produces is going to be playing. We'll go into the picks for this week. There's only actually only four SEC games this week because of natural bye weeks that were going to happen in the conference. It was supposed to be split between this week, Halloween, and November 7th when Missouri's traditional bye is. So there are only four SEC games this week. Uh, first one, Kentucky. They're now favored by six on BetMGM, but when we did our picks for the Tribune Saturday on on Tuesday morning, they were a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Who did you take in the Kentucky-Missouri game? Going to be taking uh, Missouri and the points here. Outright? Yes. Uh, I, I will be taking Missouri definitely to cover outright. I'm not sure yet, but Missouri will cover that six-point spread. Uh, I think that this is going to be a close game. A touchdown is probably about right. That's a good money line. And I've said before, if I was a betting man, I'd stay away from college football all of this year. Uh, I mean, just straight up, I would. It just, you never know. There's the lack of parity that usually happens in this sport is just off the charts this year. You look at Ole Miss, for example, who nearly knocks off Alabama and then loses to Arkansas. 
And credit to Barry Odom and what he's been doing there. He's got to be a frontrunner for the Broyles Award there. But just it, it, it just doesn't make sense. There's not that linear connection. You can have Georgia, who played a nearly flawless game against Tennessee. He was ranked 14 in the country at the time. And then you can have their performance against Alabama uh, last Saturday. Yes, Alabama, Clemson, and then maybe an Ohio State might be in a league of their own this year. But just just that week-to-week connection just does not happen. Um, and then so going off of that, uh, Ole Miss at home against Auburn. Auburn favored by only a field goal. Who do you have there? I don't really understand why the spread is only minus three for Auburn at this point. I know Ole Miss is coming off of a loss, but they were extremely frisky against Alabama two weeks ago. I'm going to be taking Auburn minus three here, but I could see a scenario where Vegas, I, I don't understand why this isn't a minus six or minus seven for Auburn. It's because Auburn, who, for those of you who didn't know, looked awful against South Carolina. And, and South Carolina isn't good at particularly anything, and South Carolina made Auburn look bad. So that's why that line is there two weeks after Auburn should have lost to Arkansas. So this line actually I think is pretty accurate as a field goal. I'm still taking Auburn. They have too much talent against – they're going to have to break out of a funk at some point. I don't want to take the uh, – all I would say is if whatever the over-under is for this game, take the over. Um, Alabama favored by 21.5 on the road against Tennessee. Tennessee's falling apart, and I think that's extremely clear. Alabama, with a dominant second half showing against Georgia last week, going to be taking Alabama minus 21 in this game. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm taking Alabama to cover as well. Just As I said, they're in a league of their own. I'll be betting Alabama as long as it's not a ridiculous point spread from here on out. Three touchdowns for them, no problem. I will give them that. When you have Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, and a Najee Harris and you know Mac Jones I still think he's he's in some Heisman talks right now that as one of the guys who might be invited to New York and that'll fade away but he's definitely a capable quarterback no doubt about it and the final one South Carolina at LSU LSU favored by a touchdown here you take it this is my this is the game of the week in the SEC in my opinion I am extremely interested to see what LSU has done in their week off defensively going to be taking uh, South Carolina plus six in this matchup, but South Carolina, similar to Kentucky, gets off to that 0-2 start, and then it's a complete flip. Obviously, they play Vanderbilt, and that's basically a free win at this point, but the 30-22 win over number 15 Auburn last week was impressive, so I'm excited to see what they can do against LSU this week. Kind of just like Auburn for me, I am going to be taking LSU. They're going to break out of a funk, you would think, eventually. They have too much talent against, I think, a South Carolina team who has overachieved a little bit, had a lot of confidence coming in over Vanderbilt. They played a JV squad, to be honest. You know, just uh, Vanderbilt, you'll get your things together in 2021, hopefully, but 2020 is just not your year. I mean, they had 56 uh, players available in that game. So. Uh, and that was right before the COVID outbreak, so... I think got to come back down to earth and teams who are high usually fall teams who are low usually get high go against the grain I am taking LSU here by more than a touchdown and I probably would have taken LSU even if this spread was a little bit higher just trying to go against the rhythm here of what college sports has told us uh, in the Tribune's t- Tiger Rector section on Saturday the six other games we'll see we'll go across them quickly Cincinnati against SMU this is a ranked matchup SMU favored by three at home who are you taking SMU at home me as well but surprisingly number six in the country oklahoma state favored by three and a half against number 17 ohio's not ohio state iowa state 
uh, going to be <laughs> sticking. I, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, how are they favored against Ohio State? There uh, wouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, going to be taking Iowa State here with the upset uh, plus three and a half. Yeah, it's interesting because last week I, I didn't realize that North Carolina was ranked fifth in the country, which is ridiculous. And then they lost. They allowed 31 in the first half to Florida State, who's been awful, and lost. So uh, I do think Oklahoma State is a little bit better than that. This is a tough one to call. I think I'm going to go Iowa State as well. Uh, Ohio State in their opener, I think they're ranked fifth in the country right now, uh, favored by 27 and a half, so nearly four touchdowns at home against Nebraska. In a probably the most surprising pick of the week, I'm going to take Nebraska plus 26 here. I just think, especially with the long layoff and the rush for the Big Ten to kind of resume, I just have no idea what's going to be happening in this game. I know there's a huge talent divide between Nebraska and Ohio State, but I just suspect the first week of the Big Ten to be extremely wacky, and I just can't give Ohio State nearly four touchdowns. Looking at Nebraska under Scott Frost, they have come out of the gates so slow the past two years. I just see that continuing. I mean, just they found themselves a little bit later in each season, but just they've just laid goose eggs the first couple of games of 2018 and then 2019. Ohio State looking, you know, basically they thought this was their year with Justin Fields, basically lining up for ready for a national title run. I, I think this is going to be a coming out party for Ohio State. Easy, you know, I'm going to take them plus uh, at minus 27 and a half. So winning by at least four touchdowns, I will do that. I mean, and to clarify, Ohio State is definitely going to win this game. I just don't think it's going to be some type of crazy kind of blowout that you would see. Uh, uh, a little closer see. comfort. Yeah, yeah. I, I got you. I got, I got you. I got you. Yeah, I just, I think, I just think Ohio State's too good. Uh, Kansas with less miles and quarantine at Kansas State visiting the Little Apple. Can't, Wildcats favored by minus 20. Um, Are you laughing because I call it the little apple? I, I'm laughing because we're we're doing <laughs> this with Kansas. I mean, this Kansas team is awful. I, I had I had to include this this game because it's just such a fun matchup to pick either way. Either you're picking Kansas and you have to do that with how horrible they are when they just lost their best player for the, opted out because of COVID and Puka Williams, or you're taking Kansas State without Skylar Thompson who's favored by 20. Um, I'm going to be taking Kansas State minus 20. <laughs> but, I mean, just looking at this, and I, I don't want this to become you know, a, a Missouri podcast uh, you know, talking bad about Kansas, but after that loss to Coastal Carolina, it, if you're a Kansas fan, it's hard not to just check out of the season already. Well, here's the thing. Coastal Carolina is much better than expected. I'd say this. I mean, I, I probably know more about Coastal Carolina than most just because I covered them while I was covering the FCS while I was in college, and I know that the lengths they went to basically my freshman year they had josh norman and then basically that was their ticket to be one of the fcs's best and then they went to the sun belt so i i don't think that's as bad of a loss as it seems now but you should beat a sun belt team at home regardless of who they are if you were a big 12 team so yeah that kansas team is awful i'll go kansas state here i think it'll be closer to this 20 point line that most people expect it's not gonna be a blowout i will go kansas state here uh clemson favored by 46 so that's uh, five touchdowns. No, that's that is not five touchdowns. That is uh, six touchdowns and a field goal plus one at home against Syracuse. Yeah, it, it's hard to for me to believe that Clemson isn't going to beat Syracuse in the same manner that they beat Georgia Tech last week. Uh, Forty-six points is a massive spread, but I think Trevor Lawrence and the Tigers cover. I'm going to take Syracuse just because that forty-six points is huge. I mean, yes. Georgia Tech is probably better than Syracuse, and Georgia Tech just lost to Clemson by, I guess, in the top of my head, that math would be 66. Just, I just, I just can't see. You, you in college football, you just can't have that 
expectation, even with the disparity that is Clemson and the rest of the ACC, you know, you just can't even expect to have that type of just margin of back-to-back weeks. It wouldn't surprise me if I'm wrong here, but I just had to take Syracuse here because why not? And then uh, final matchup of the week, I thought this would just be an interesting one, just a shot-in-the-dark type of game. Wyoming favored by three-and-a-half at Nevada. Just, I just wanted to have a clean the game for everybody to kind of just see where their luck is this week. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to go Nevada at home. I'll go Wyoming, plus three, uh, minus three and a half. All right, very cool. Uh, and then kind of before we wrap up this week's podcast, and we save it you know, a little bit on the analysis this week because we haven't seen Mizzou play live in almost two weeks. Uh, Missouri will be facing TCU in the Big 12 SEC Challenge in basketball at home. Only the second time they've actually ever hosted a big SEC Big 12 Challenge game last year. They were at nationally ranked at West Virginia in the middle of that six-game slide. They had and they got just destroyed by Bob Huggins and crew. And we'll see. Hopefully they, they, you know, we'll see if they do a little better. They're obviously expected to be much better. It's just interesting looking at the matchups and, and how they got to TCU. You know, it was it, with how the schedule goes, you thought Missouri was going to play, be one of the five SEC teams who hosted and just, the, and just the way it kind of lined up. They try and match up teams for who would make the most interesting matchups usually starting at the top with you know the top teams playing each other like one of the games is auburn baylor who expected to be at the top of the conference that's fine um so they kind of with the teams who are in the lower part of the conference and then the bottom they kind of flip-flop those and have a team who's expected to be kind of near the middle play a team who's near the bottom on the other so just to kind of make sure at least one kind of interesting team there's no I guess the equivalent would in football would be that you're not doing Vanderbilt versus Kansas. Uh, there's none of those matchups taking place. So we, Missouri and TCU have not played since 1952. Crazy how long ago that was. But anything else you want to talk about, Langston, before we end this podcast? Just continue to wear a mask. And, uh, you know, if you can do your part to make sure that we can continue with SEC football. All right, for Langston Newsome, I am Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. And we'll come to you next week. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.